Sunday, February the 11th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. So we're in the middle of our new series, Feasting February. We're feasting because it's after the fasting and it's in February because that happens to be the month that we are in. And if it didn't have an alliteration, we probably would have called it something else. What I'd love us to do uh, this morning is to think about some of the ideas and put them into practice that we were introducing during our Daniel fast. It's easy to think or to misunderstand that the Bible sets itself up as a series of rules that the good Christian obeys and follows, or a series of rules that the religious or the pious people obey and follow, and that's what defines Christian faith. I think I grew up in a tradition that felt like that, even if it didn't overtly express that. Your Christianity was certain things that you didn't do. You didn't swear. Didn't smoke, you didn't sleep with your neighbor's wife. And then there's that confusing verse, isn't there, about your neighbor's wife and the neighbor's oxen, which assumes you can tell the difference between the two. And so there's this, it's kind of, these are the things that you shouldn't do, and then you will be kind of like the good Christian or the good follower of, of God. And and then there are the things that you should do. So you should be in church on a Sunday. And if you were really keen about church, you would come in the evening as as well. Anyone uh, uh, anyone was raised on a diet of two services on a Sunday. Keep your hand up if you had to go three times because you need to do Sunday school in the afternoon. Mark, yeah, absolutely, we're all in there. So, and Simon, Sunday school in the afternoon. And so there's these things you had to do and these things that you didn't do, which made it all very task, action focused. That's not the story of the scriptures. The story of the scriptures from beginning to end is an invitation into relationship And then because of that relationship, the expectation that behavior will change. And in these summary verses in Deuteronomy, which we think of as a book about do's and don'ts, and in some way it is, it says, remember that the foundation of what you do and what you don't do is a relationship that you already have with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And therefore, do not forget. Do not forget what? Do not forget that you once were in Egypt, but God called you out of Egypt into this new land. God called you into relationship 
with him. Why is all that so important? It's important because I think if our faith is simply about what we do, we only engage with one part of our lives, typically our thinking and our mind. This is what I must do. But most of what motivates us and most of what brings us fulfillment and satisfaction is not just the do, but it's the feelings that are associated with it. We know, don't we, that love is an action. And you'll you'll hear this said, um, Claire and Rich, in their marriage. Uh, I love the idea that you can be married for a 100 years and still turn up. You'll get a certificate if you've been married for a 100 years and still turn up. And uh, 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 that what what's at the heart of that sense of love is an action is that love is a commitment, but it's not just that in the end. Because if love is only an act of obedience, but never becomes a feeling then that's a real problem in a relationship, isn't it? So people will go for marriage counselling and they will say, I know that he loves me, I know that she loves me, but I just don't feel it. I just don't feel it. And it's exactly the same with our relationship with God. You will sometimes say, I know that God is with me, but I just don't... I know I can trust him but I just don't, I know he's with me, but I just don't, but I just don't feel it. And we have demoted that aspect of our faith and of our journey because we've inherited, sweeping generalizations now, we've inherited a Christianity that's based around do's and don'ts and just what you need to get on with. It's not that that is, is, is altogether wrong, it's just nothing like the whole story. And so we're invited into relationship, and that relationship needs to affect what we think, but it also needs to affect the other parts of our lives. So it doesn't say, love the Lord your God with all your mind and all your strength, so think about it and do it. It says, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, all those inner bits, all those awkward emotiony bits, all those feeling bits, and with your strength, go and do what he says. So we're going to do an exercise this morning, which helps us engage part of our lives with God that we don't engage with as readily or as often in our Western culture. If you go through the sweep of history uh, and and uh, uh, all kinds of traditions, they understand this much better than we traditionally have. So meditating, for example, is a recognition that there is another part of our lives that's an important part of who we are that's different to simply just thinking about it. Now, in our Western world, we talk about left brain, our thinking part, and our right brain, our experiential feeling part of our brain. And most of what we tend to do is around our left brain, our thinking. I will say something on a Sunday, you will think about it and decide whether to do it or not. It's a kind of thinking side. But the right side of our brain has a different kind of language. It's the language of love. It's the language of creativity. It's the language of beauty. It's the language of imagination. 
and so on and so forth. So we're going to try and engage that part of our lives because we want to love God with everything, don't we? And if that part of our lives lines up, we know that when our head and our heart line up, something really powerful happens because we discover an alignment that we haven't had hitherto. So, to help us with this, we're going to use the story in John chapter 6. Because you're left brain people, you're already thinking about turning to it and reading it. Because that's our natural response. What I'm going to invite you to do in some moments is to enter the story with your imagination. I want you to imagine that you are a disciple with those other disciples in that story. So you're allowing your right brain to connect with the truth of the story and not just thinking about it. You're allowing your emotions to engage with the story rather than just your mind. So in these next moments, I want you to think imagination and I want you to think emotion, feeling. Imagination and feeling. Now some of you are going, I don't know, I don't think I've got any imagination. Feelings? I had a feeling once in 1962. So we're going to have some feelings and some imagination in John chapter 6. I'm only saying it's there, so you can go back to it later on and just check that I haven't made the whole thing up. This is a story in the life of Jesus, and we're going to go on a journey to enter the story, allow our imaginations to connect with it, and our emotions to connect with it, and we're going to invite God to be at work in our lives. Okay? Great. If I was you, I wouldn't want to be sitting very close to someone for this. So if it was me, I would move and I would sit on the floor with my wall, with my back against one of the walls. You might choose to sit in one of the more open spaces. You might want to sit on the floor. But I wouldn't want to be like this because it doesn't help me relax and be creative. Father, we want to love you with all of our being. To love you with our minds, but to love you with our hearts, our souls, and our strength. To love you with our imagination, to love you with our emotions, to feast on you with that part of our lives. Thank you that you've given us imagination. And so there's something holy and sacred about choosing to use our imagination to connect with you. Our imagination is a gift and we thank you for it. We thank you for our emotions, the ability to feel joy and delight and Peace, 
and hope. Thank you that our emotions are a gift. And there's something very holy and sacred about engaging our emotions in your presence. I want to love you with everything. And so I'm choosing to love you in this moment. Now our right brain, our inner world, works differently to our left brain. Our right brain needs a bit of space and much more centeredness. In some senses, it's a lot quieter and needs us to tune in, to become more aware. And so we just invite the Holy Spirit's help to become aware of our breathing. Don't alter your breathing. Just become aware that you are breathing and thank God for the breath that's in you. What a gift. Every breath, a gift. What a beautiful thing. And as you're conscious of your breathing, just be conscious about allowing. And you need to allow your body to relax a little bit. Roll your shoulders with their tense. Wiggle your fingers and your toes. Just become conscious of your body. Just become aware of where you're carrying stress in the back of your neck or in your stomach or in your head. And allow your body to relax. These are all God-given gifts. Your body, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And in the same way that you relax in the presence of someone that you feel comfortable with, we are learning to feel more comfortable with God than anybody else. And so we relax in his presence. The things that are coming to your mind now, the things that are on your to-do list today, the things that you're agitated about for tomorrow, just name them. They're there. They'll still be there when this is finished. Just recognize that they're there. Don't fight them. Just say they're there. Hand them to Jesus. Know that they're, they'll still be there in a, in a little while. But in naming them, you just separate yourself off from them a little bit. And imagine now that you're one of those disciples. And it's coming to the end of the day. You've been with Jesus all day. You've been journeying with him. It's been an amazing day. A massive crowd has gathered on the hillside by the lake. There's still warmth in the sun. The glistening of the water. Physically, you're tired. And it's getting towards the end of the day and you know that sense that everyone's beginning to wonder about what they're going to eat 
and what's going to happen. And Jesus comes over to the group of you. And for a moment, you're a little bit anxious that he might ask you this question. That nervousness that comes when you're in a group and someone asks you a question and you're not sure how you will respond. And and to your relief, Jesus asked Philip, not you. And Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to get food for all these people? And to be honest, when you heard Jesus say that, you were so thankful Jesus didn't ask you that question because you had no idea. There are thousands of people. Where on earth are we going to get food for these people? And Philip said what everyone knew. Poor Philip. Philip said, well, it would take half a year's wages to feed all these people. It's just impossible. We, we've got no idea how to fill them. And then in any group, there's always the fixer, person who can't wait to jump in and become the savior. And Andrew spoke up, well, there's this boy with five loaves and two fish. Inside, you sniggered and you heard murmurs from the other disciples, five loaves and two fish for thousands of people. That's another ridiculous thing that Andrew has said. We'll be talking about that for months. And so there's this sense of impossibility. And you don't know whether you feel excited that something might happen or overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, that feeling that you've had so many times when your life seems out of control. Overwhelmed when you haven't known what to do. Overwhelmed when circumstances seem so much bigger than you. And your mind's kind of drifting to all the times that you felt overwhelmed. It's kind of tense, really. What are, what are we going to do? It's awkward that Jesus has asked us this question. We don't know how to answer it. Andrew's saying something stupid. What's going to happen next? And then Jesus asks everybody to sit down. And then you watched as Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks. And shared it with those who were seated as much as they wanted. What do you see as you watch Jesus do that? He broke that bread. Five loaves. And shared it as much as people wanted it. What do you see as you watch? Maybe you're feeling amazed. 
Maybe you're feeling a little edgy. That's weird. Maybe you're now feeling in a different way, a bit out of control. This doesn't happen. These, the normal rules of life are being suspended. And then Jesus says to you in the group, go and gather up all that's left. You're not sure you want to move. How, 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 how do I do that? How do I gather up what's left after thousands of people have ate on just five loaves? How, how do I do that? Where do I start? I, I don't want to fail. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to be embarrassed. I'm... So what do you do? Do you hang back and wait for the other disciples to go first and start gathering up? Or, or are you in there straight away? Can't wait to gather up those loaves, those pieces. So there they are, 12 baskets full of what was five loaves after those loaves had fed thousands of people. You're staring at those baskets. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? You shrinking back. It's all a bit too much. All a bit weird. What are you leaning in? Do you feel peaceful or anxious? Anxious, agitated or calm? How do you feel about Jesus? You're a bit more captivated, a bit more convinced, a bit more willing to follow, a bit more amazed. And then almost as quickly as it all happened, it was all over and, uh, uh, and Jesus slips away. You, you learn later that he slipped away because some of them wanted to make him king. And you, you do what you normally do. You get in that boat with those other disciples and you begin to row across the lake. For all the excitement of the moment on the hill, for all the wonder of the miracle, you were quite glad to get back in that boat. It felt a bit normal, a bit familiar. And you grabbed one of those oars and you began to row. And you were glad to do something that was comfortable and familiar. You were glad just to be in surroundings where you felt you had some control. But then the storm came. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes the storm would come and it it would frighten you. Even though you were comfortable with the lake, comfortable with fishing, comfortable with the wind and the rain. But every now and again a storm that made you scared. And this one did that 
same again, that same feeling of being out of control, that same feeling of not being able to, uh, to be totally on top of your circumstances. And you began to be afraid. And it went dark. And as you experienced that feeling of being afraid in the dark, it triggered other times when you felt afraid. And your imagination began to race or your memory began to race through times when you were afraid, when it felt all dark. What's been triggered as you try rowing across that lake and you realize that against the wind and the waves you're making no progress? What other feelings are rising in the panic, in the anxiety, in the hopelessness? And then Jesus comes. At first, it's terrifying to see someone coming on the water. But then you realize that it is Jesus. And he says, do not be afraid. And in that darkness, in that panic... Those words, do not be afraid, speak not just to that moment, but to so many other moments when you've been afraid and it's all been dark. And those words speak to a deeper part of you. For that moment, for this moment, for sure. But for so many other moments too. Where is God speaking? Do not be afraid. It is I. And then Jesus jumped into the boat and almost as soon as that had happened, without a moment, they were at the edge of the shore. Whilst you'd got in the boat because it was familiar and comfortable, now you were glad to get back on the land, to put your feet on something solid, to get back into control of your surroundings, to relax again. But you know that in these hours, something has changed. You're different. And a little bit later in the day, you pause to reflect. As if you were to write in your journal how these things have changed you. Imagine for a moment what you write.
Thank you, Jesus, for the power of our imaginations. Thank you, Jesus, for the ability to imagine and to feel. Thank you for your work in that part of our lives. Thank you that we're not just imagination and feeling. Far from it. We are frame and flesh and blood. We are mind as well as spirit. Thank you that we are here today together. In Jesus' name. I'd love you to stand up. Just turn around. Do something physical. Move about. It's good to be here. And what I'd love you to do just for a couple of minutes with a few people around you, just talk about that experience. Was it easy? Or was it hard? Did you appreciate it? Did you struggle with it? What was God getting your attention about through it? What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? Off you go. Two minutes.
basically I thought I was going to get an early night and then I just started finding my room Okay, let's gather ourselves together. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. Rule in my heart forever. Come and take this place. Come and take this rightful place. Rule in my imagination. Rule in my emotions. Rule in my responses. Rule in my automatic reflexes. (laughs) 